Hello, and welcome back to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. Welcome back to another edition of People You Should Know, uh, Notive Native People Edition, with an amazing book that I've been meaning to talk about literally since the end of October. It is called Notable Native People, and it is by Adrienne Keene. She is one of the original podcast hosts of All My Relations, along with Matika Wilbur. And it is an amazing podcast. I recommend you listen to it regardless of this book. I will put a link down in the notes and who the author is so you can find it and purchase it for yourself. I do want to read just a couple of stories. There are 50 indigenous, quote, leaders, dreamers, and change makers from past and present written in this book. And there is some additional information in there that's just really great. There's some amazing art in this book, hand-drawn pictures of these particular notable Native people. So it's 100% worth the cost. And I am just here to promote it and read just a little bit from it so that you can get intrigued and be inspired by the book. So I think I should probably start with the about the author. Adrian Keene uh, is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and originally from Southern California. She is a scholar, writer, and podcaster whose work focuses on representations of Native people in popular culture as well as Indigenous students in higher education. She is a longtime author and editor of Native Appropriations, a blog about cultural appropriation, and the founder and co-host of the podcast All My Relations, which examines Indigenous relationships and how we can be good relatives to one another, the land, and our non-human relations. You can find her online at nativeappropriations.com or adriannekeen.com, that is A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-K-E-E-N-E.com, or on social media at Native Approps. And that is spelled N-A-T-I-V-E-A-P-P-R-O-P-S. I also want to just apologize up front because I am 100% sure I'm going to mispronounce something. It is with no ill intent. I will do my very best to pronounce things correctly. So I want to just start off with Jessie Little Doe Baird, and she is Mashpee Wampanoag. She was born in 1963, and she is still alive. She is a linguist and a language revitalization advocate. So I will read her passage. When Jessie Little Doe Baird was a young woman, she began having dreams of her ancestors speaking to her in a language she couldn't understand. Jessie is a citizen of the Mashpee Wampanoag Nation, which is the nation that met the Mayflower in 1620 when it landed on the shores of their homeland in present-day Massachusetts. When Jessie was born in 1963, the, uh, and she spells out the language that I'm not going to butcher, W-O-P-A-N-A-A-K, the Wampanoag language had not been spoken for 150 years, but her dreams of a language spoken by her ancestors were the first step on a journey to reclaim her people's language and bring it back to life. When she began her language work in the early 1990s, Jessie was a mother of five and a social worker, living in her homelands on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. She had no prior linguistic training, but she felt strongly that the work needed to be done by a Wampanoag person. Working with renowned linguist Kenneth Hale at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, Jessie painstakingly reconstructed spoken Wampanoag, maybe? 
They use thousands of historic documents written in Wampanoag, including the first Bible printed in North America, and paired them with pronunciations and grammatical tools from other native languages, other related native languages. After graduating with a master's degree in linguistics in 2000, she launched the Wampanoag Dictionary Project, solidified Wampanoag grammar, and began teaching language to members of her Mashpee Wampanoag community. In doing so, she incited a language renaissance for her entire nation. In 2010, she was awarded a MacArthur Foundation Fellowship, often referred to as the Genius Grant, for her work. And now, decades after her first dream, a growing group of children speak the language of their ancestors at Mukeyusak Wiku, the Children's House, a Wampanoag Language Immersion School. In a magazine interview, Jessie said, learning our language gives us the basis for why we view the world the way we do. Wampanoag is something that no one can take from us. And on a personal note, what an amazing accomplishment to be able to revitalize a language that had not been spoken and frankly not been allowed to be spoken for 150 years. So uh, right on to her. She's amazing. And next I'd like to share the story of Mabel Pike. Tlingit. She was born in 1920 and passed away in 2012, and she was a beadwork and moccasin artist. And her picture, by the way, uh, she looks like an adorable sweet grandma holding her beautiful moccasins. Mabel was a celebrated beadworker and moccasin maker known for her beautiful beaded and fur-lined moccasins, as well as for her generosity of spirit and willingness to teach and share her skills with others. She was born in Douglas, Alaska, and at the age of six, her great-grandmother taught her how to bead. After their village in Douglas burned down, she and her family moved to Juneau in 1926. She and her sisters began to sell their beaded moccasins. She created most of her own designs, which were primarily traditional, although she did create abstract designs that incorporated Tlingit colors and themes. In addition to her beading and sewing throughout her life, Mabel worked to share the Tlingit language, culture, and stories. She was employed as a dorm matron at Mount Edgecombe High School, a boarding school for Alaska, Alaska Native students, worked as a nurse's aide, and volunteered with a statewide radio to translate stories into Tlingit language. She also had a close relationship with the Alaska Native Heritage Center in Anchorage, where she served as a board member and instructor. Mabel was an Alaska Native master artist, and her moccasins are held in the museum collections throughout Alaska and the world. She also taught beadwork in local high schools and at the University of Alaska Anchorage. She also had a special relationship with Stanford University, where she would fly thousands of miles each year to serve as an artist in residence, guiding hundreds of indigenous students through the steps of making moccasins. She continued her visits through Cal to California into her 90s and continued to teach and share her skills throughout Alaska until her death in 2012 at age 92. She is remembered for her beautiful work, but also for her sense of humor, spirit, and dedication to sharing her craft. In 2011, the online arts platform Etsy traveled to her home to film her at work for a series on artists, makers, and crafters. In the video, she says, I just lose myself in my sewing. 
I don't know how to describe it. You know, when I start beading, I'm so absorbed in what I'm doing, I forget everything. I'm sewing and I'm creating a design, and I just don't know how to describe it. I just lose myself in it. When I finish a pair of moccasins, I sure hate to part with them. I'm not doing this for money making. I do my sewing because that's my life. That's always been my life from the day I was six years old. So thank you, Mabel Pike. On page 44, we come to a section called Whose Land Are You On? I'm not going to read the whole section because I want you to read this book for yourself, but there is a great passage that I'm going to read a portion of. Do you know the name of the indigenous nation or nations on whose land your house is built? What about where you grew up, attended school, went on vacation, where you work? If you don't know, it's time to find out. You can start with a resource like native-land.ca on which the map in this book was based. And then verify information through other resources like tribal websites, local community organizations, or universities. Then find out what those communities are up to today. Have they been displaced to other lands? If so, where are they now? Is the local tribal nation still active in your area? If not, is there a local urban native organization? For many cities and towns, it may feel as if there isn't a native present or hasn't been one for a very long time, but there are native people everywhere. And what a wonderful reminder. Um, just for myself, I live in Coast Salish land, um, right next to the Tulalip Reservation, which is host of many different tribes. Just north of me is the Stiligwamish tribe. A little further west and north of me is uh, into Laconner and the Swinomish tribe. So I'm pretty familiar. Um, also down south, you know, of course, the famous uh, Chief Seath or Seattle, as it was named for, that is the Duwamish tribe who are struggling to get their own tribe federally recognized. So, uh, um, and just recently I saw a TikTok about... Uh, Muckleshoot and kind of the struggles between Muckleshoot and Duwamish. So I'm learning more and more about it every day, but I do try to keep a pulse on what's going on. And I'm really thankful that I get to have access right next to me within a 15 minute drive of an amazing place called the High Bulb Cultural Center, uh, which is on the Tulalip Preservation. And I, so I cannot recommend it enough to go there. It's not that expensive and it is absolutely worth the price of admission. So um, please check that out if you're in the area. To my great delight in this book, she also includes Elizabeth Paratrovich, but I've already done an entire episode on her, so please go back and listen to People You Should Know, uh, Elizabeth Pet Paratrovich. Uh, lastly, and this is just going to be a short little episode because really I want to encourage you to go out and get this book for yourself. But I would like to read about Jamie Akuma, which I actually knew about beforehand from uh, Instagram. I've watched and followed her beadwork, and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, her title is Luisenia Shoshone Bannock. Um, I apologize again if I'm saying that wrong. She was born in 1977. She's an artist, beadworker, and fashion designer, and she absolutely is. Her artwork is amazing, and you can find it on Instagram. <clears throat> A pair of Jamie Okuma's beaded knee-high boots resides in a permanent collection of the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. These boots, covered in thousands and thousands of hand-tacked glass beads, 
showcase Jamie's signature colors and styles. Swooping swallows, gorgeous florals, and sky blue cut bead background that sparkles with the light. Jamie lived in Los Angeles as a child before moving to the La Yola Reservation with her family, where she still lives today. As a master artist and independent fashion designer, her primary medium is beadwork, but she also uses quill work, leather work, and other mediums to create stunning couture fashion pieces and art. The breadth and diversity of her work are hard to capture, and her style and techniques grow and evolve, continue to grow and evolve. Jamie learned to bead at age five, figuring out the techniques completely on her own by studying her mother's beadwork projects. She started out primarily making regalia for powwows, then clothes for miniature dolls, before moving into more high fashion clothing and beadwork. And she now also makes ready-to-wear designs and jewelry. Her beaded work includes interpretations of photographs, many from popular culture and themes that wouldn't be considered traditional for native art, like scenes from horror films. Much of her work is, has deeper meaning and reflects themes from her own life behind the chosen designs, such as her No Place Like Home, Holy Yukum, red, ruby red beaded boots that honor Jamie's homelands and her clan. The boots were inspired by Dorothy's ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz that were one of Jamie's first fashion memories. It was the color, the way they sparkled, and the magic ability to take you home no matter where you were. I was a fish, they were my bait, and I was hooked. Jamie cares about using the best materials available in her work, saying detail and quality are the two elements I obsess about most. She primarily works with Italian leather, antique French, Italian, and Czech seeded seed beads, and whenever possible, in her beaded pieces, she uses native brain-tanned buckskin from her grandmother's reservation. Jamie is protective over native art and designs and often speaks out against cultural appropriation and the misuse of native designs and cultural elements. She wants everyone to enjoy and wear her work and says, the person who wears my pieces is a lover of life, culture, and diversity. They are unafraid to make a statement and be noticed. And that is so absolutely true. Her artwork really, truly is stunning. So that is just a little tiny snapshot of Native Native people. I just want to take it a moment again to appreciate Native American Heritage Cult Month and acknowledge that there are people in this book that are all over from um, the islands, from Alaska, from um, even South America, from the United States, all over the place. There are Native cultures everywhere. And so uh, I just really love that this is a start of what I hope is a bigger series, if I can. Also, remember to check out all my relations on uh, podcasts everywhere. I'll put some links down in the notes. And if you have something that you want me to check out, you can find me on Twitter at SomedayDeadPC. You can email me at SomedayDeadPC at gmail.com. Um, or you can find me on Facebook. And that is that. Also, I'm going to be putting something on Twitter. Uh, I don't have it under my podcast name. It is under Hospice Hallie. So you'll actually be able to see the cover of the book and what the artistry looks like before you get it. Thank you so much. And uh, please learn the lands that you're on. Appreciate the culture. Don't be a colonizer. 
because uh, someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>